Now, this morning, we're going to end our series called Pursuit. And, uh, you know, this is the sixth week. And uh, so uh, those those messages are online if you want to go back and listen to them or you can get them in the in the coffee shop. But today we want to conclude our series talking about the importance of pursuing authentic community. And, uh, you know, community is a modern term for an ancient biblical world word called fellowship. Fellowship is a few fellows in a ship, right? But authentic community is being connected and related to others in a consistent basis who have similar values and interests and goals. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, unless two agree, how can they walk together? You, you got to have similar interests, right? It, it's, it's relationships which give you a sense of accountability, of belonging and care, and that allow you to experience spiritual growth. How many of you want spiritual growth in your life? Amen. And so 1 John 1, 7 says, if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I'm convinced one of the greatest pursuits in life, you know, this whole series is about what are you going to pursue in life? What is what are you going to pursue this year? You don't want to you don't want to spend your your year or your life pursuing something that makes no difference. Right. But I believe and I'm convinced that one of the greatest pursuits in life is the pursuit of authentic community, building relationships with other people of like values, like hearts, like minds, and like goals. Amen? Authentic relationships that you can share life with. Isn't it good to have friendship? Isn't it good to have uh, relationships? You know, I've always had friends. I mean, uh, you know, it hasn't been hard for me. Growing up in a small town, how many of you know it's easy to build community in a small town? Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows you. You know everybody. Everybody knows your business. Right? And so, you know, but I found out later after I became a follower of Christ that many of my friends weren't authentic community. They weren't authentic friends because they walked away from me as soon as I didn't have any more drugs to give them. Come on, I'm preaching already right there. Amen. I found out many of my friends were just surface friends. They, they were just connected, just very surface. And they weren't genuine. They weren't real. They weren't authentic. They weren't the kind of friends that sticks closer than a brother. And how many of you know we need friends that sticks closer than a brother? Not fair weather friends. Not friends that walk in and walk out. Amen. Come on, we need friends that will be there. But you know what? After I started pursuing Christ, I lost a lot of those friends, but I'm grateful some of them are still there. In fact, I see my brother right here, Kendall and Phyllis Tuchat. You know, we knew each other when we were lost. We used to burn up stuff together, right, Kendall? But it is great to have a friend in church today. Amen? And it's good. And there are others here that, you know, we, we come a long way, but it's good to have authentic friendships. Amen? But after I became a Christian, I remember getting, uh, Brother Francis encouraged us to get in small groups. And the closest small group leader to, to Erath was Mr. Aaron and Miss Louise, my father-in-law and mother-in-law. And they were in Youngsville and they had a life group. 
And I can remember, man, we'd had some handouts with a song, the lyrics of the songs. Brother, Mr. Mr. Brother Aaron would take out his guitar and we would fly away, baby. I'll fly away. Oh, glory. Amen. And we would just worship the Lord and we would just enjoy the presence of God. And then we would talk about the scripture and just encourage one another. Man, started building some authentic community. And, and I remember whenever, uh, you know, whenever I started coming to through the Bible, Brother Francis, it was the one between Moses and Brother Francis. But Brother Francis and Miss Betty Jo were new Christians as well. And we every Thursday, I think it was, we'd come out to, to right here on campus and go through the Bible. Man, we'd spend hours in the parking lot preaching to each other, talking about the goodness of God, man. I mean, we knew we were theologians, we thought, you know. But man, we built some connections and, and life began to change. And then I remember, you know, uh, uh, I, I would do okay. I was struggling in my faith. I would do okay Monday through Friday. And then Friday, the wheels would come off. And what that means is I was back in the clubs. I was back on the, on the pills or whatever it was. It's not because I wanted to. But I, I wanted to live the Christian life, but I was struggling. And as I connected with these small groups, and then Friday night, they had a singles group at the Babbins, Jim and Wendy Babbins house, and, and we, me and Doug Renard started going over there, man, and, and man, we made some friends, and wow, man, life began to change. And man, still today, there's, there's relationships that have been forged in those small groups that have changed my life. And I realize that authentic friendships can change your life. They can change your life. They can, they can give you the extra plus that you need in life. Are y'all with me out there? I believe life change happens in the context of relationships and community. Not just coming to church on Sunday. Amen? But listen, not just any relationship or community will change your life. But I'm talking about real, genuine, authentic, real deal kind of community. Amen? Not surface relationships. God never intended Christianity to be lived out alone. How many of you know that? It's not a lone ranger, you know, kind of thing. Somebody said even lone ranger had Tonto, you know. And so although our relationship with God is very personal, God never intended for it to be private. He never intended it. Somebody said Christianity is a team sport. You can't play game by yourself. You can't play game all alone. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 says this, Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. They are even better for a triple branded card is not easily broken. If two is good, three is better. Amen. And so, you know, the bottom line is there is great personal benefit to pursuing authentic community. Are y'all tracking with me yet this morning? Amen. And so the Bible uses three different metaphors to help us understand the power and the strength of community. 
And, and I want to look at these three metaphors to help us understand the importance of community. And the first benefit of community is you receive the blessings of being connected to his body. In Colossians 3.15 says, each of you is part of the body of Christ. And you were chosen to live together in peace. That's a good verse. And so one of the metaphors the Bible uses to describe the church is the body of Christ. And just like the natural body has many organs and members that help it function, so does the spiritual family of God. And that's what the scripture refers to. In Romans 12, 4, it says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. So although we live as individual parts of the body, the scripture says we've been designed to be connected to each other. We belong to each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not, uh, because I'm, I'm not an eye, what, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it, and how strange a body would be if it had only one part. If you're tracking along here, yes, there are many parts, but they're one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. Now, that's a, that's a motto of a lot of people in our society today. I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. We need each other. Amen? Paul says each part of the body needs the other parts to be a healthy body. Amen? Now, do you think my hand is better off being part Pursuing the body? Or would it be better off disconnected from my body? And so this is the analogy that the scripture is saying. Do you think my hand is better off connected to this thing right here called my body? I mean, imagine, lop this thing off here. Lop this hand off. I think it wouldn't be doing as nearly as good as if it is attached to this arm and these, this armpit and this body here that helps it function and helps it motivate. Amen? And so the church is the body. The church is not a building. It's not a, it, it's not a, a structure. It's a living organism. It's not an organization. It's cells in the body. Amen? And so for the organs of the members of your physical body to feel, fulfill their purpose and their destiny and the life they need, they got to be attached to the body. And he's using this picture to say, you are an organ. You are a member of the body. And it has to be connected and function if, is it, if it's going to reach its destiny, and if it's going to fulfill its purpose. A hand cannot exist on its own. And we can't exist on our own. 
If you're disconnected and caught off from the life flow of the local church body, you will wither and you will become weakened and you could cease to exist. Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No. Do you have to go to church to go to heaven? No. But you're missing out on the body if you don't stay connected. Pursuing communion keeps you connected to the body of Christ, allowing you to receive the benefits and blessings of being connected to the body. Amen. Are y'all with me out there? A second benefit of pursuing community is you receive the care and protection of being in God's flock. Another metaphor the Bible uses to describe the Christian life is being a sheep connected to the good shepherd's flock, right? John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd and we, his children, as sheep. He's the good shepherd and he cares for and he protects the sheep in his flock. That's the analogy. John 21, 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. How many of you know that's the heart of the Lord right there, that his sheep be taken care of. One of the mandates of the local church congregation is to care for each other like a good shepherd takes care of his sheep. Amen? Well, listen, the good shepherd puts his spirit of care and compassion and concern on the local church congregation so that we can care for one another. John 12, 11, he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on a Sabbath. And so what he was saying, Jesus says, it's not about rules, it's about relationships. Don't worry about breaking the religious law of breaking the Sabbath, man. If somebody's in trouble, get down there in the ditch and help them out. Amen. Come on, y'all help me preach this morning. The church congregation is designed to be like a flock. Every sheep can connected with the others. So Christians can be cared for and protected by the spirit of the good shepherd. Hopefully the spirit of the shepherd is in the congregation. Come on, are y'all hearing me out there? Come on, do you feel like a shepherd yet? Amen. You should be if you're a believer. You should be if you're walking with Christ. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with one another. Amen. The church congregation. Do you think an individual sheep is better off being out there all alone or connected to the sheepfold? Think about it. Just let your mind go for a little while. No, we can, we can automatically, although I've never had to shepherd sheep, I've never even been close to, you know, I had a few sheep growing up in the in next door, but there was no shepherd involved. I mean, they had, you know, pen keeping them in. But, you know, I know enough about it to know that shepherd cares for those sheep, watches over those sheep. And that shepherd will make sure if this one that gets out of the pack and gets away from the flock, that shepherd will go over there and take that staff of his, wrap it around that sheep's little, that lamb's little neck and say, you come back over here in that foal because they got wolves out there. They got enemies out there. You're going to fall off the cliff out there. You better stay in here with the flock. I'm watching out for you. Are you getting that picture? 
And so what the scripture is saying here, I believe, is as believers, we are better cared for and protected if we stay connected to the flock and the congregation. And you see, I think the mentality in the church of America today is I can just internet church. Come on, I can live stream church. Come on, I'm starting to preach right there. Amen. It, it's the mentality. A third benefit of pursuing community is receiving the love and the nurture of a spiritual family. It's a third metaphor the Bible uses to describe the Christian church is that it's a spiritual family. The Lord wants every Christian to have a church family to belong to. Amen? So when you stay connected to other Christians in the community, what happens is you stay connected and you are able to experience family. That's what it should be. That's what it's supposed to be. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.19, you are no longer stranger to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's own country. And listen, you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Listen, a teenager might say, I don't need my family you might be able to get by without your family, but you would do better if you stayed connected with your family. Amen? Ephesians 2.20 says, You are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven. You are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's, and you belong. You belong. God has a place for you to belong. He wants you to belong. He's called us to belong to a spiritual family, not be solitary saints. Or spiritual hermits, isolated and separated from other believers and deprived of fellowship. Do you know we have a need for fellowship? If a person is locked up in a room and has no fellowship, their health begins to deteriorate. Their body begins to fall apart. They emotionally get de depleted. Their whole life begins to fall apart. We need fellowship. Amen. First Timothy 3.15, it says, In case I'm delayed, I want you to know how, pe how people who are members of God's family must live. God's family is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. So listen, following Christ includes belonging, not just believing. Amen? So the church family is designed to help us in our Christian walk. And so then no, no wonder, as I started getting connected and building relationships in church, my life began to take on greater dimension of gravity and success and, and, and freedom and liberty. Amen? Here's the reality. A Christian without a church family is an orphan. It's an orphan. Now think about this with me. Do, does anybody in this room think that it's good to, for somebody to be an orphan out there? To have no family, no parents, no siblings, nobody to love them? Is there anybody that is better off being an orphan than being connected in a part of a family? And the answer is, of course not. And if you take the analogy of the family and you bring it into the church, is it good for any Christian to be out there without being connected to a family and being an orphan like that? And the answer is no, a thousand times no, it's not good. You need to get in the family, man. 
Amen, come on. There's a set place for you at the table. Sit yourself down and be a part of the family and quit trying to live out there on on your own. Amen. Pursuing community is how you stay connected to the family. So the Bible says a Christian without community or fellowship with other Christians is like an organ without a body, like a sheep without a flock, or like a child without a family. And so why is it so many people struggle with building community? Why is it so many people struggle with building community within the church family? Well, there's a number of challenges we all face, but the challenge of building biblical community, it's not a new challenge. It began in the biblical times. In fact, Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So as you can see, the early church struggled to pursue and maintain Christian community. And and some were neglecting the meeting together. And they said, look, I don't need y'all. I don't need y'all. I'm just me and myself and we just do, I'm going to do my own thing. And so the, the, the author of Hebrews says, no, don't neglect meeting together. So there's challenges that we face to building Christian community. And let me just throw a few of them out there and see if you can relate to this. The first one is the pace of life. Our lives are very busy. Can I get a better amen? You know, I talked about this a little bit a while ago, just a couple weeks ago, but recent surveys found that the average church member will go to church 1.2 times a month. Now, that used to be like 10 or 15 years ago, that used to be a week. They wouldn't just come to church Sunday, they would come another time in one week. Now, the average church attendance is 1.2 times a month. So, So, we're eating junk food for the majority of the week, and we come to church every once in a while and eat a good meal. How many of you know you can't be healthy like that? Amen? Part of the reason for the lack of church participation is busyness. We're busy. We're here, there, everywhere. And, and, you know, our society, they don't give a flip about, about Sabbath. Sabbath what? But you know what's worse than that? The church is beginning to say, I don't care about the Sabbath. That's the worst part about it. Come on, I'm preaching at you now, amen? But come on, say, oh me, oh my. Say something, amen. But listen, what I'm trying to say is that as busy as life is, we can't let it get so busy that we don't have time to get together with the family of God, amen? The second challenge is our churches have gotten too large. You know, churches are larger than they've ever been before, but yet the spiritual climate is worse than it's ever been. So if having more people going to church was supposed to be the solution to our problem, it's not working. And so listen, you know, it's easier to build relationships in a small church than a big church. And as our churches have gotten bigger, you get lost in the crowd. Isn't that true? What makes a small church so special is everybody knows everybody and just the sheer size of church makes it hard to build community. That's why we need small groups. That's why we encourage you to get in small groups. It's not good enough to come to church. you got to have a friend in Jesus. That's a good song. 
We need a friend in Jesus, amen? And you need a brother, you need a sister, you need somebody to walk with you. So if you fall down and you fall in the ditch, somebody will be there to help you up. I'm telling you, you don't get a chance to see what I get to see as the pastor of this church, but I've seen it over and over and over again. When somebody falls and they don't have any friends, they're struggling, but when somebody falls and they have a friend, their friends come to their aid and they help them out of the ditch and they help them get on with their life. I'm telling you, we need each other. Amen. We are our keepers, brother. We got to take the time to build relationships because it'll be a blessing to us. Amen. The third challenge in our society uh, has become less friendly. Isn't it true that our society as a whole has become less friendly? We're less warm. You know, uh, the spiritual decline has affected our friendliness. And so now we all got these, you know, if you don't talk like me, if you don't have the same lifestyle as me, I don't want to have no part of you. And, and, you know, we got these prejudices and we got these stereotypes and we got all this stuff. Listen, in the church of God, we need to put all that stuff aside and we need to start loving each other. And if you got hate in your heart, you got to deal with it. Bring it to the cross and let God redeem you. Amen. Come on. There's no room for that stuff, man. Come on, we got to get right with God, amen? And so listen, we went from building porches on our houses to building fences around our houses. Porches were to build fellowship. Fences are to stop fellowship. The fifth challenge to building community is our technological culture is feeding our relational disconnect. I mean, listen, with the age of social media, people are quicker to text, tweet, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, email, and I'm sure there's more, rather than call, talk, or physically visit somebody. Come on, social media is making it a lot easier to live relationally disconnected, independent, and isolated lives. Come on, is that true or is that not true? But listen... Social media is helping us stay relationally disconnected from God's family, getting us disconnected from the fold and disconnected from the body of Christ. So what do we do to overcome these challenges? How many of you say you pray and you cry out to God and say, Oh my Lord, help me. Are, are y'all are are hearing what I'm saying? Are y'all tracking with me? And so listen, our society is going one way, but we're not to just drift with the society. We are to swim upstream. We're supposed to be doing something different than the world is doing. Amen? We're supposed to be creating a different culture and a a different standard. And so, saints of God, I'm just encouraging you today. Listen, I tell you, it, it burns my heart that somebody in this church don't have a friend. It grieves my heart that somebody would not have somebody that could pick up the phone and call and say, man, I'm in trouble. Would you help me? Everybody in this church needs to have somebody that they can call. Amen. And let me just tell you this. I know I'm supposed to be. I know the pastors are supposed to. But you know what? We don't have. We are not super pastor. And we cannot do it all by ourselves. We got to have some help up in this place. Come on. Are y'all with me? We can't do it. We got to have some help. We need each other, man. The hand can't tend to the whole body. Sometimes the body needs the little toe. Come on, that's profound right there. I know, that's deep theology right there. 
And that's for free right there. <laughs> the first step, how do you build biblical community? Let me give you a couple of steps. Number one, devote yourself to the purpose of building community. In Acts 2, 41, this is the practice of the early church, the beginning of the early church. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, 3,000 in all. I'm looking for that day. And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and the prayer. Now notice that the early church devoted themselves to these things. And one of the things they devoted themselves to was fellowship or building community. Devoted means to be unwavering in your resolution and to be firm in your purpose. Devoted means to give full attention to and be willing to spend as much time as needed to accomplish the goal. That's what devoted means. The early church was fully committed to doing whatever it took to build community. But you know, whenever I think about the early church, one of the reasons why they were so motivated is because they were, man, the hounds of hell were after them. They had so much persecution. I think the best thing that could happen to America is persecution. You know, I think one of the ills of America is we're too prosperous and we got it too good. But I think whenever you get put in the hole, you get put in the, in the fire, man, you come out on the other side, brothers and sisters. Amen. Isn't that true? You go through a battle together. You come out on the other side. I love you, brother. I love you, man. I mean, you feel like you're together, right? And the early church was forced. But listen, should we wait till we get forced to build relationships? And see where the fallacy is, is I don't need it right now, so I'm not going to do it. And then we wake up in the hospital one day and there's absolutely nobody that we can pick up the phone and call to help us because we just didn't need that in our lives. And so what I'm saying and suggesting is that we do need it and we should invest in it because it'll help us. When I found that building relationships takes time and energy, it doesn't happen automatically. It takes an unwavering resolution to make it happen. Building authentic community doesn't just happen by chance. The second step to building community after you devote yourself to it is be willing to take the risk. You know, listen, we're willing to take the risk to do a lot of stuff. I mean, by the way, we give like financial advisors all our money not knowing if their last name is made off or not. I mean, we take risks. We see something in the grocery store and says, this will make your hair shiny. Okay, let me have some of that. We have no idea what's in there. We take a risk. Come on. In fact, I was thinking about that just the other day. I was taking something and I'm like, I hope this is true. You know? <laughs> Or I'm just going to go to see Jesus early. Amen. But we have to be willing to take risks. For some of us, our dysfunction, our dysfunctional upbringing, or our past bad relationships hinder us from building community. The hurts and the rejections from our past, we're like, I've been there, done that. Let me just come and sit down, hear the worships, hear the sermon, and poof, I'm out of here. And, and, and I understand that. Don't you understand that? And so to build community, authentic community, 
we have to be willing to take a risk. We, we have to be willing to open our life and be authentic and transparent. You got to get below the surface. And in James 5.16, he says, admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man has powerful and wonderful results. How many of you know something happens when you begin opening up and sharing your life and your faults and your mistakes and your shortcomings with other people? I mean, you got to be careful who you share that with. You know, don't call Channel 3 Anchor, you know what I mean? But it takes humility to build authentic community. We have to be willing to put high value on others, not be selfish and look at others as better than ourselves. How many of you know nobody likes to hang out with someone who is stuck on themselves? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Just be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves, the scripture says. That's Philippians 2, 3. It says don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others by having it all together. You know, I remember a, a recent, uh, uh, an experience of a small group and, and, and we had a, a gathering together and, and there was one brother in our group that he was having he was having social anxiety because he had he had tried to trust and it didn't backfire on him and he was afraid to and and he was having all this anxiety and man as soon as somebody in the room began to share their their story all of a sudden these this group of guys that were not really that connected all of a sudden began to connect come on are y'all, are y'all tracking with me everybody in this room has been hurt by relationships everybody in this room well, what are we going to do? Are we just going to isolate, insulate, become a hermit, live by ourselves? Is that God's plan for our life? No, it's not. So we got to be willing to take a risk. I encourage you to take a risk. Open up your life to someone and begin building authentic community. The third step to building community is learn to be life-giving. You know, there's two kinds of people in this world, life-givers and life-takers. Come on, can I get a better amen? And you know, it's not good whenever you build a community around life-takers. Because you're going to be life-depleted. Come on, how many of you believe that Christians ought to be life givers? I mean, we got the resurrection power of Jesus on the inside of us. Why shouldn't we be life givers? I mean, come on, man. We got the power of God that raises people out of the grave. We ought to be able to overcome a little bit. Amen. And so listen, we ought to be. How do you know if you're a life giver and not a life taker? Well, here's a couple of suggestions. You become a life giver giver when you learn to become more concerned for others and less concerned about yourself. And you see, you know, the mentality, the world mentalities, they come through the doors of the church and say, what can you do for me? That's a worldly mentality. A life giver says, what can I do for you? Come on, that's good preaching. Say amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If any one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it see a giver concerns themselves with the sufferings of others that's a giver a taker is only concerned about themselves 
You know, just this weekend, I was calling somebody, and or this week, and I was talking to them. I said, how you doing? I said, man, I'm having some health problems. And kind of shared with me. And then I said, so what else is going on? He said, well, I can't hardly see beyond what's going on right now. And it just dawned on me. I was so ready to move on past that initial conversation that I didn't hear what he just told me. He said, I'm having health problems. You ever had health problems? That's no joke. That's no joke, right? And so, you know, it's taking the time to notice the suffering of other people. You become a life giver when you begin showing compassion and sympathy for others' problems and hardships. Carry each other's, Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fill the law of Christ. You become a life giver when you encourage people through their difficult times. You encourage others around you instead of condemning them and degrading them. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, so encourage each other and build each other up. Encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. Now listen, if I had to ask someone that knows you well, would they say you are a life giver or a life taker? Now the reason I ask that question is I don't believe that you can build authentic community until you begin to be a life giver. Because people get tired of getting the life sucked out of them if all they do when they get around you is just get depleted. Come on. I mean, I know this is tight, but it's right. It's right, isn't it, saints? Isn't it true? And so we got to learn to be and come and encourage you. And I believe if we learn to be encouragers, we will have no problem. We'll never lack for developing authentic community. The fourth step to building community is be practical and take opportunities. That's what Ephesians 5 says, 15 and 16. So be careful how you live, not live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So take Take opportunity. Be practical. How about consider taking the opportunity to joining a small group? Say, well, what if there's people in there I don't like? Well, that'll be good for you. You might need to learn how to get along with somebody you don't like. Come on, that might change your life right there. Amen? (laughs) Take the opportunity. How about you consider coming to church early and not hurrying out of church on Sunday and just meet some people? I'm just trying to put the cookies on the shelf where you can grab them. But say, I don't know anybody. Well, why as soon as I say amen, you're running out of the doors to beat the the next, the other church in town at Piccadilly. Come on. How many of you know that, man, we should have the same values up in here. I mean, not all the same opinions and decisions. I mean, you know, I can't agree with myself. And so, but, you know, I mean, we should be going the same direction, right? But is this making sense to you? But how about, how about you just invite somebody to coffee? You know, I was just talking with somebody this week and they, they invited somebody in church here. That's even, 
And they just took the risk and said, let's get together. And they just began to tell Tanya and I all this as they're learning about this couple. And, and, and it's just amazing. And just a, a little visit and they're getting to know each other. But, but what about, what about just maybe taking a risk and say, hey man, y'all going to lunch? Y'all eat? Yeah, we eat too. <laughs> we do that too, man. How about we go eat together and have some fellowship and break some bread together? I mean, come on, listen, you have a gift. You are a hand in the body that somebody else in the body needs. And just by you reaching out a little bit, making, building authentic community, somebody's life might be changed. Yes, I know it can be risky. Man, they got some weird people out there, Todd. I know. That's what the other brother said, sitting right on the side of you. Come on, we all weird to somebody else, you know? <laughs> How many of you know? We all got our, our issues, amen? But come on, man. How about you join the spiritual growth track and get more connected in the church? Just get connected. Just connect yourself to the body. I mean, we started the first one Wednesday, but jump in this Wednesday. Jump in. Wednesday night, 6.30. Come on, don't live out there by yourself. Get in the fold. Just be practical and take advantage of opportunities to build authentic relationships. And listen, this is what I believe. The more time and attention you give to developing authentic relationships, the greater your chances of building authentic relationships. And finally... A fifth step to building community is to personally become a community builder. Wow, how about that thought? That maybe I could be the catalyst to helping somebody else build community. Man, I mean, could I do that if I don't have seminary training? Could I do that if I didn't, if I don't have a plaque that says I'm a Bible college graduate with a 4.19? You know, sometimes we think that only, only special people were qualified. But no, I think the, the one that's the hand that's been connected to the body and knows the, the fruit and the results of it is the best one to be a community builder. Amen. I believe that. And I believe the Lord is desiring some of you here today to become a community builder, to facilitate a community for others. In John 12, 17, in this dialogue that Jesus had with John, he said, do you love me? He asked him three times. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. In verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. That Jesus asked this question a third time and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, it's obvious the burning burden and desire of the heart of Jesus was for the sheep. His concern for the welfare of the sheep. And it was obvious what he wanted most was for the sheep to be cared for by others. He said, John, if you really love me, man, this is on my heart. This is what I'm worried about. In another passage of Scripture, he lays out what is needed to be a community builder. In Matthew 9.35, he traveled through all the towns, villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. 
And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So Jesus reminds us that there's always been a shortage of workers for the help of caring for the congregation. And he reminds us that we don't need to be theological, we don't need to be theologians and seminary graduates. All we really need is love and compassion. That's all we really need. When he saw the needs of the people, he was moved with compassion. I think we need a fresh move of compassion. Amen? We need a fresh move of compassion. Amen? And our compassion. So I heard somebody say, Brandon and I were in this meeting, and, and this guy said, man, I was a pastor. I had no compassion. And I began to pray and ask God, I'd do a funeral. Oh, you know, it's going to be all right. You know, and bury him and be done with that. And then he said, I started praying for compassion. And, and the Lord showed me. Everywhere Jesus was moved with compassion, a miracle took place. And I think every time one of us are moved with compassion, another miracle takes place. And I believe there's miracles to be had. In, in Lafayette, Paris, as we are moved with compassion. Folks, all we need is compassion. All we need is love. Amen. And if we just concern ourselves with others, God will use us to build community. Amen. Listen, for some of us, it's time to step out of the boat and begin to build authentic community. You receive this word today? Amen. If you do, once you stand with me as we conclude. And if you don't, just stay seated. No, just kidding. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How many of you in this church this morning don't have many friends in this church? What are you going to do about it? You can change that. And by changing that, you can make this church so much better. You can make this church so much healthier. I'm telling you, you can. We are our brother's keeper. And we need each other to survive. Regardless of how big and strong we think we are. We need each other. We need to build relationships. Authentic relationships. People that whenever we say we're having a tough time, say, well, good luck. No, we need people that say, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to stand with you. Amen. We need people that we know good enough that if we in the middle of the night have some kind of tragedy, we can pick up the phone and say, man, I need your help right now. I know it's in the middle of the night, but I need your help right now. I need you right now. Would you help me right now? And they'll get out of bed and they'll put their trousers on and they're going to come to your house and they're going to help you with whatever you go through. That's the kind of friends that you need in this life. Amen. Come on, not fair weather friends, not friends that'll just hang around if you've got something to give them. We need friends that will stick closer than a brother that is willing to go through the trials and tribulations of life and not walk out on you when things are going tough. That's the kind of friends we need. Amen? So we need to step out of the boat.
Some of you need to step out of the boat and say, listen, man, I've been sitting on the sideline long enough. It's time to make some friends. Come on. Who is God speaking to today? I know God's speaking to somebody. Come on. He's shaking you right now. He's saying, come on, man. Now's the time to do it. Some of you, you need to step out of the boat and start building community. You might have two or three people that, you know, call them up and say, man, let's get together. Come on. Let's make a gumbo and let's talk about having a Bible study. Come on. Let's get together and let's pray for one another. Come on. Let's get together and just fellowship even if it's once a month i need some friends in my life and you are one of them and i want to get better connected to you amen father i pray right now in the mighty name of jesus god i thank you for your spirit i thank you for your presence i thank you for your grace that's in this place today Father, I pray, move on the hearts of your people today. God, I pray, stir us up, Lord. God, don't let us settle in complacency and apathy. Lord, shake us out of that place today. God, we thank you, Father, that you're infusing us with the life-giving power of your spirit today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on, just make a commitment. Just make a decision right where you are. Just say, yes, Lord. Come on, just say, yes, Lord. Amen. Now, you might be here today and you say, Todd, I don't know if I'm one of God's sheep. I don't know if I'm in the flock. I don't know if I'm part of the family. I want to be, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that if I die today that I would get to spend eternity with Jesus. But I want to make sure. I don't want to miss heaven. Would you pray for me today? If that's you, would you just raise your hand and just lift it up high? Because this is your day to surrender your life. Raise it up and raise it high so I can see it. Ma'am, there you go. Raise your hand. Hey, don't be ashamed. Right over here. Don't, don't be ashamed. Don't be bashful. Listen, this is your day. This, Come on, you become, you're getting connected to the good shepherd today. Now listen, those of you that have your hands raised, would you do me a favor? Come on, just step out of the aisle right here. Come meet me right here at the altar. I'm coming now. Come on and come meet me right now. And we're going to pray together. Amen? There you go. There you go. This is the beginning. This is the first step. Come on, you're taking a risk, but it's going to be all right. Amen. That's the best risk you could take right there. Thank you, Father God. Come on. You belong. You belong, ma'am. You belong in God's family. God has a place for you. You've been wondering what, what your purpose is. You've been called to serve the living God. Amen. And God's got a purpose and a plan for you. And it's going to start unfolding right now. Would you pray this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. Lord Jesus. I want to be part of your fold. I want to be part of your flock. Lord, would you forgive me for all my sins? I'm sorry. But today, I want to change my life. I want to live for you. I need a, I need a fresh start. Would you help me today, Lee? Thank you, Jesus, for accepting me in your family and allowing me to be a part of your family. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And amen. 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 Now listen, you stay right here because you need to be greeted and loved on a little bit before you go. And we got some stuff for you. Amen. Amen. All right. What you going to do about it? You know, you heard that story about that preacher. And he, he got up in the pulpit. And I, I don't know exactly, but he said, love one another. And he went and sat down. And next Sunday, he got up in the pulpit. Love one another. And he went and sat down. And after a while, the congregation started to get perturbed. And said, hey, you ain't got another message? 
And he said, well, as soon as you start doing the last one, then I'm going to give you another one. Amen. <laughs> well, come on. Before we hear another message, let's do this one. Amen. Let's do this one. Hey, the altars are open. If you need prayer for anything, we want to love on you. We want to support you. We want to encourage you. We're here. But if you don't need prayer, I pray your team wins the Super Bowl today. Father, I pray the favor and the blessing of the Lord over the people of God today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You're dismissed. God bless you.